back to school begins. So excited. First day of kindergarten. Students face a big test adjusting to new COVID-19 protocols. Highly emotional sentencing for a deadly hit-and-run driver. I feel peace today coming out of there. What the victim's family did in court that had everyone in tears. And Victoria Vandals hit a truck with Texas plates. I thought people around here were a little better than that, but uh, obviously some of them are not. What the Canadian owner is doing here that makes the crime even worse. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first we begin with allegations of interference during the numerous investigations involving the Delta police chief's wife and an incident at Centennial Beach. The woman who says she was sprayed by a hose, Kieran Sadu, is tonight revealing a strange visit by a former RCMP officer. Catherine Urquhart explains. Baltesh Dillon is a well-known former RCMP officer. He was the first Mountie to wear a turban. Now there are questions about the role he may have played amid a criminal investigation. It's very unusual. You had the chief of police, significant other involved in this particular incident. That is assault. That head with the hose and turn the hose on. The criminal investigation involved Lorraine Dubord, wife of Delta Police Chief Neil Dubord. In June, Dubord allegedly used a hose to spray water on Kieran Sadu, who had walked on the rocks and touched the fence in front of her Centennial Beach home. Now Sadu is revealing that while that investigation was underway and after she went public, Dylan requested a meeting with her. Voltage Dylan wanted to meet and talk about um, all the stuff that's been happening, the incident with uh, Lorraine Dubord and the media stuff that I've been doing since then. Sadu says she did meet with Dylan regarding what she says was the racist undertone of the incident. It was more about let's use this media attention um, to pivot in, into something that's beneficial to the community. She says at the time, Dylan told her he's the friend of a high-ranking member of the Delta Police Department from their days working together for the RCMP. Did you wonder why it was him coming to you and how that came about? I mean, I did ask him and he said he was asked by someone from the city of Delta to do this. Dylan has declined an interview request. The Delta Police Department denies sending anyone to meet with Sadu once the case was transferred to Surrey RCMP. And a call to City Hall was met with a no comment. This is festering uh, to a very, very costly uh, endeavor investigation by police agencies. One week ago, Lorraine Dubord received alternative measures instead of criminal charges. The OPCC continues to investigate how the case was handled by the Delta Police Department. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now we'll take you to one of the most unusual back-to-school days in B.C. history. About a half million students are returning to class that looks nothing like they've seen before. Richard Zussman reports. So excited. First day of kindergarten. It's back to school across the province in Port Moody. I'm a little nervous for the yeah. kids. It's going to be weird for them. And in Surrey. They're telling us to sanitize our hands constantly and stay away from other people. And in Victoria, a start of the school year like never before. 
like wear a mask because that's the important thing. Hundreds of thousands of kids back in the classroom, many for the first time since schools closed in March. In place are new cleaning procedures, new rules around physical distancing. I expected the desks to be really far apart, but they're just really close together. And a suggestion all students wear masks when distancing is not possible. There's so much more rules. Yeah. Like, you're, like, and you, oh my God, and you can't even eat in the class. Some reports from teachers that reusable masks and face shields were unavailable, but disposable masks were made available in place. Education Minister Rob Fleming touring a Victoria area school on the first day back. We're ready to reopen schools. It's, it's clear that the uh, education sector has done an incredible job to keep each other safe. For many parents, a tough decision around sending kids back to school. Every par parent has that first day of kindergarten pit in their stomach, but it's extra intense, I guess. I'm still not sure I made the right decision, but got to work. Sicknesses happen, then we'll just, you know, if it closes, it closes. If it doesn't, you know, we're hoping that um, Owen can stay in school. That sickness and what will happen if a kid gets sick in school, a lingering concern for many. If there is a possible exposure, it may be that some of the learning group may have to be uh, uh, quarantined for a period of time, depending on what type of exposure happened, how many people had close contact. And with a record-breaking day of new COVID cases, the question is, how long may it be until the virus forces a BC school to close? Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria. Of course, that's all happening as we hit a new record high for daily COVID-19 infections in our province. 139 confirmed new infections today. That brings our total to 6,830. Thankfully, we've had no additional deaths, so that number holds at 213. 42 people are in hospital, five more than yesterday. 14 of those patients are in ICU. 5,190 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with a record high 1,412 active cases and more than 3,100 in isolation. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on today's number. Keith, this, in terms of the daily averages, has been a big week. Certainly has, Chris. Biggest one ever. Remember the days when we were going 10 cases a day? Uh, that was our average for a number of weeks. Uh, those days seem very long ago. So I thought it'd be useful to take what we've seen just the last week alone to show you what's been happening in BC in terms of COVID-19. Take a look at these stats. It's uh, sort of unimaginable just a few weeks ago. 789 new cases through the week from September 3rd to now. Three deaths and more than 300 people are in isolation. Now to put this in context, I want to just compare it to what's going on in Washington State. I just looked at the numbers for the last week. We've got 789. They've got 3,400 cases down there. 40 people have died in Washington State in the last week. That, the issue of the border was addressed by Dr. Bonnie Henry today. There are going to be some softening of the measures, but make no mistake, from public health... Uh, I'm sorry, Chris has a question? Well, actually, it's funny. Keith, I was going to ask you that very question about the border and Dr. Henry uh, saying today that Easing restrictions maybe in some special cases might happen, but yeah. she's happy to keep it closed. And I stress the, the word special uh, because there's going to be very few exemptions here. But there are certain examples where people need to get across the border. And right now, people can cross if they're essential services uh, providers. But some of those categories may be extended, expanded. But that number I just recited about Washington State is a reason why public health does not want that border open anytime soon. Here's Dr. Henry.
So we need to look at how we can do that safely, how we can have um, some exceptions for critical functions, for some business functions, and um, where we have very closely monitored, so uh, where, where the Quarantine Act would still apply, but there would be uh, allowance for people to uh, visit a, a dying relative or for a business function to take place if needed. And there's a number of examples that we're looking at at that. But um, we still very much believe that uh, visiting um, for recreational reasons are, are, are very risky right now, and we would advocate to keep the border closed. Yeah, I'd be surprised, uh, Chris, if the border opens within the next few months, if not a year, if not until we get a, a vaccine. That's how serious the situation is. A reminder, no uh, briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry or Adrian Dix tomorrow. The numbers will be posted tomorrow afternoon. Expect another high number, likely well in excess of 100. A fascinating comparison with Washington State, too, and that hit. Appreciate it, Keith. Thank you. There is more backlash from banquet hall owners after B.C. health officials ordered their immediate shutdown. The B.C. Banquet Associations are demanding answers from the provincial government and health officials as to why they've been shut down. They claim they've been following the proper measures and safety protocols, so they're confused as to why they are no longer allowed to operate. Without any funding or change to the new measures, many say they'll struggle to survive. We're looking for some uh, restitution. We're looking for some relief of funds that is going to operate if the, if the government, uh, the NDP government, wants to shut us down. Uh, you know, we can't pay, as Sook said, we can't pay our property taxes. We can't be paying our mortgages. Uh, we can't pay anything. So we're looking extension on uh, whatever they can do. They should have a package for us. Dr. Bonnie Henry has said despite the measures being taken, standalone banquet halls and nightclubs are still a significant source of risk of infection. Both industries were ordered shut down on Tuesday. The pandemic, of course, has had a devastating impact on the province's finances, and that's reflected in the first quarter numbers from the new fiscal year. British Columbia is forecasting a $12.8 billion deficit. The deficit driven by the economic impact caused by COVID-19. The forecast comes after the province provided a financial snapshot in July. Since then, B.C. has seen stronger than expected consumer spending, employment gains and housing activities, which B.C.'s finance minister says will help weather the long road ahead. And there are some early positive signs of recovery for people and for businesses. We see this in the latest employment data, an improved retail sales outlook, and some resiliency in the housing market. But again, being a realist, we have a long road ahead of us. There's been another act of senseless vandalism targeting a vehicle with a U.S. license plate. Keith Vidalin is Canadian, but he lives most of the time in Texas. He's visiting his son and new grandchild in Victoria, but found the windshield of his truck smashed, the Texas plates stolen, and the vehicle covered in graffiti referencing Donald Trump. Brad McLeod reports. Straight in this location. Keith Vidalin woke up this morning to his truck trashed. A little bit angry, maybe a lot angry. Pro-Trump sprayed everywhere and some expletives. There's damage on the rear of the car, there's damage on the hood, there's damage on the windshield. Vidalin says the repairs will cost thousands even if insurance pays for some. But why the Trump messaging? Well, Vidalin is certain it's because he had Texas license plates on his truck. Had, because those plates 
were stolen by the vandals. I am a Canadian citizen who is a U.S. resident most of the time, but I'm up here quite a lot. He decided to come to Canada in June after work in the oil and gas sector dried up and to also see his brand new grandchild. Proceeded with the uh, requisite uh, quarantine procedures. He says he hasn't faced any aggression towards his Texas plates in Victoria until now. I thought people around here were a little better than that, but uh, obviously some of them are not. Well, there's probably some prejudice there and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of ignorance and stupidity to go along with it. Victoria Police saying this is unacceptable. We are investigating this file and hope that someone in the public has information regarding this incident. People with out-of-country plates are here in B.C. for a variety of reasons, and we need to be focused as a community on taking care of one another and acting with compassion rather than ignorance. Besides the cost of repairs, Vidalin says it's going to be tough getting replacement plates from Texas, which may have his truck sidelined for months. His message to those responsible? Grow up. I'd love to meet you. If you have the courage, but I doubt it. They don't. They don't have the courage, right? They're weak. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. And Victoria, police would like to speak with witnesses of a violent sexual assault in the capital this week. Police say an unknown man attacked and sexually assaulted the victim within a fenced-in area between Pembroke Street and Princess Avenue. Investigators believe the assault happened shortly after 10 o'clock Monday night. The victim was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police released an image of the suspect who is described as a 30 to 40-year-old black man, about six feet tall with a slim build. He wore a surgical mask, jeans, and a t-shirt. He had short hair and was said to be well-dressed. He spoke with an accent which the victim described as sounding East African. He was also pushing an older-style racing bicycle at the time. Justice today for the family of a woman killed by a hit-and-run driver. They got to face that man in court today. And as Romina Dea reports, what followed was a heartbreaking apology from Michael Howard Thomas and an emotional response from the woman's mother, brother, and 12-year-old daughter. While most kids started school Thursday, 12-year-old Nevaeh Douglas went to court to face the man responsible for her mother's death. Miss her a lot, I bet. Yes. Yeah. What do you miss the most? Everything. 32-year-old Tassis Vicks, a veterinary technician, was walking to the store in Maple Ridge the night of April 12, 2018, when Michael Howard Thomas smashed into her at 155 kilometers an hour. The speed limit, 60. Thomas, now 45, had been drinking at a pub and bar that evening, according to the evidence. I thought it was all a sick joke, Douglas said in her victim impact statement. For the age of 12, I've gone through a lot. I still have guilt for not saying goodbye. A remarkable moment of redemption unfolds next. One I have never witnessed in more than two decades as a reporter. After an emotional apology to each member of the victim's family, the victim's mother embraced the accused who crumpled, weeping in her arms. I feel peace today. What did he say to you? He sobbed and he said, thank you so much. I wasn't expecting you to forgive me. Thomas sentenced to two years, less a day jail time, for dangerous operation of a motor vehicle and failing to stop. 
the judge taking into consideration counsel's joint submission, including Thomas's criminal history and abusive childhood as an indigenous youth. Thomas turned himself in the day after the accident and offered a plea before charges were laid. I felt his apology was heartfelt. I can feel the emotion there. I definitely cried during it because how do you not? But uh, in the end, words can be fabricated and actions speak far louder. Douglas missing her mom's voice, an unbreakable bond. The young girl hoping the accused makes better choices when he's free. Nevea, do you forgive him? Yes. Because everyone makes mistakes, but he made a big one. Romina Dea, Global News. A major blow to private health care and the clinics helping patients get speedier treatment. The private clinics have been fighting for the right to operate for years. But new developments could put them out of business. The court drama, it just played out in just over a minute. The invasion of the moths and what it means for the trees they love to eat on the south coast. Coming up on the news hour. And the plastic car even a 14-year-old can drive later. Right now, though, it has taken more than a decade, but today the B.C. Supreme Court dismissed a constitutional challenge filed by Dr. Brian Day, the owner of the for-profit Canby Surgery Center. Day has been arguing patients have a constitutional right to pay for private medical care if wait times in the public system are too long. John Waugh shows us why the judge disagreed and what happens next. Let's just check it manually. Opponents of Dr. Brian Day's legal challenge argued it was Canada's universal health care system on the table. Okay, let's bend. Claiming it was at serious risk if the Vancouver surgeon had his way. How do we make our system better in a way that benefits everybody, not just people who can pay to get ahead. After a lengthy four-year legal battle, the B.C. Supreme Court dismissed claims made by Days Canby Surgeries Corporation that current provisions around private surgeries and diagnostic tests are a violation of a patient's charter rights when wait times in the public health care system are too long. Essentially, everything that the plaintiffs had wanted was dismissed. In his ruling, Justice John Steves wrote, I have found that the impugned provisions do not deprive the right to life or liberty of the patient plaintiffs or similarly situated individuals. Patients are going to die as a result of this decision unless it's overturned. Justice Steves added there is a rational connection between the effects of the impugned provisions and the objectives of preserving the universal public health care system and ensuring access to necessary medical services is based on need and not the ability to pay. The court has endorsed a a system in which the government's own data shows that 40,000 patients a year in B.C. are waiting past medically acceptable times. Doctors caught charging more for early access to procedures already covered by public medical insurance are subject to fines. But so far, court injunctions have prevented the province from collecting. We don't have a a date to to reintroduce uh, uh, those provisions, and we'll obviously be considering that. While opponents say it's time to move on and focus on improving the public health care system, Dr. Day is looking to resuscitate his legal challenge, if needed all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. John Hua, Global News. Up ahead, what some say is the number one problem downtown. Along these streets, it's really, really hard to find anywhere. How the lack of public washrooms is becoming a public nuisance. 
But first, startling developments in an investigation that centers on this video of a woman being dragged by an RCMP officer. A lot of extra traffic on Highway 1 eastbound through Vancouver and Burnaby this, after, or this evening after clearing two separate problems. Traffic is backed over the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge through the Cassiar Tunnel right to Willingdon. Need to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to save, get better coverage, or both. Visit bcaa.com slash ICBC. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Vancouver. Months after disturbing video of a wellness check surfaced showing a Kelowna Mountie dragging a student in distress down a hallway, RCMP are now asking for witnesses in the case to come forward. But as Global's Jules Knox reports, the woman involved in the incident wonders what took so long and worries it's too late. Constable Lacey Browning drags UBC Okanagan nursing student Mona Wang face down across the lobby floor, handcuffed and shirtless. It doesn't escape notice. A man circles around and watches what's happening. The video was taken in January. It was released in June. But RCMP not issuing a public plea to speak with this witness until now, in September. That should have been done a lot earlier. Abbotsford police independently reviewed the RCMP file and sent it back to Kelowna, saying it needed further investigation. BC's former Solicitor General and police veteran Cash Heed says he'd been wondering why. This is one of the last things I would expect where, in fact, you did not locate the witnesses that are in plain view of that video. Police are now also asking to speak to this man, seen going up the stairs. So many voices that were missing from the report, and it just seems like such a sloppy job that they've done. We're also looking at some type of internal discipline procedure here. So if we have no confidence that they've gathered all the evidence required. After the surveillance videos surfaced, the Southeast District's chief superintendent apologizing to Wang during a press conference. I'm very sorry to Ms. Wang for what occurred. If that was my family member or friend, I would have deep concerns and want answers as well. But Wang says those answers haven't been forthcoming. She accepted the apology at the time, but says she's seen little action since. It almost seems intentional to me that they're kind of, you know, whitewashing and kind of trying to hide what has happened. RCMP say that Browning remains suspended with pay and that they continue their follow-up investigation and have no date for when it will be complete. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A column of dark smoke could be seen for kilometers away as fire consumed the contents of a Nanaimo scrapyard. The flames were so intense a helicopter was called in to drop buckets of water on the fire. It was first spotted around 9 a.m. in the yard at Schnitzer Steel near the Nanaimo airport and right along the highway. Firefighters from all over central Vancouver Island have rushed in to help battle the blaze. From all corners, uh, you know, we've got, I, I just saw a couple Duncan Valley ones roll by in Crofton and uh, Nanaimo Regional, Cedar, North Oyster, and, you know, and a lot of, uh, lot of different uh, fire departments called in. And, you know, I mean, I think the, a lot of these guys are volunteers too, so I think they're working pretty hard to keep it under control. A Vancouver health official says the city needs to increase public washrooms and maintain the facilities that are used by the homeless for the benefit of everyone. 
As more people come forward complaining about people relieving themselves in public, he points out that many of them don't have a choice. The struggle to find a public washroom in downtown Vancouver is real and sometimes humiliating. I see a woman leaving the bathroom right at the instant that I was realizing where the bathroom was. So I'm so relieved at this point. She has the key, which she's given back to the staff. So I went and asked if I could use the washroom. And they said, sorry, sir, it's out of order. Jamie Benson, a veteran who served two tours in Afghanistan, says he was recently denied use of the facilities at a big-name grocery store. I said, I just seen that lady come out of there. He's like, um, I don't think you did, but it's out of order. And I had an accident after that. Like, I actually went in my pants, and it was clearly visible, and people were laughing, and, and I, I actually broke down and cried. In the downtown core, the number of 24-7 washrooms run by the city is six, and only two are in the downtown east side. Use it in the streets, really, if you don't have a place to go use it. Yeah. And it's kind of gross and <laughs> inconvenient. It is really that we had not thought through, from a public health perspective, the consequences of some of the decisions that were made overnight. Decisions at the start of the pandemic to close many public buildings and their sanitation services. No one wants to go in an alley. No one wants to do that in the street. No one wants that. It's degrading. It's dehumanizing. It's awful. Karen Ward says about a century ago, Vancouver had big plans for staffed washrooms or comfort stations all over the city. Today, just two remain, including this one at Victory Square. She thinks the concept should be resurrected and modernized. There are more conveniences that we need. We don't just need washrooms and toilets. Um, we need to have you know, a place to wash your hands, changing tables. Uh, we, need to, we need to get a paper mask when we drop ours or lose it. With the current lack of lose, people like Jamie Benson feel forced to sacrifice dignity to answer nature's call. I remember thinking as a veteran, like I friggin' gave so much to protect your butts and this is how I'm being treated today? Like I don't think anybody should be treated that way. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Still ahead, the fallout from the We Charity scandal. We will be closing We Charity's operations in Canada. The Kielbergers might be pulling out, but that won't stop the investigation into the group's finances. And UBC researchers look into the best material for making masks. Their surprising findings later. Is in good shape over here tonight at the Massey Tunnel. Counterflow is out, so two lanes both ways. Do keep in mind that during the overnight hours, you're down to a single lane in both directions for maintenance. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. It looked like a bomb went off. More than three dozen active fires in Oregon, chewing through hectare after hectare. Several small towns in that state alone charred rubble, and now at least two lives have been lost. Washington state is not out of the woods either, and to the south in California, 14,000 firefighters battling back the flames of more than two dozen major fires. Burning hotter, faster, and now more explosive than ever before, this year's historic and catastrophic fire season turning deadly again. It looked like a bomb went off. In Oregon, half a dozen towns decimated. After a harrowing escape, a devastating return. My God, this is our driveway. 
Entire communities are now gone. Many could not escape the flames, including 13-year-old Wyatt Toffee and his grandmother, Peggy. His life was just beginning. I mean, a child. Lives lost and devastation as far as the eye can see. Everything's a total loss. In Washington state, where one town lost City Hall, its post office, and the fire department, officials confirm a one-year-old is among the dead. I'm in shock. I still can't believe the whole fact that everything around me is gone. With hundreds of wildfires burning in a dozen western states, firefighters say whipping winds and record heat are helping fuel these epic conditions. We joined firefighters in the Sierra National Forest. This seems like an endless fight. Yeah, you know, it is. It's never going to go away. Crews aren't just battling flames, but the perfect recipe for a fire. This forest hasn't burned in decades. It's bone dry and it's ready to explode. Across California, more than one million acres burned just this week. In Butte County, a massive inferno is threatening the town of Paradise. The same community where 85 were killed by a wildfire two years ago. It feels like the end of the world. It's pretty scary. As apocalyptic scenes play out across the West, tonight inside the burn zone, destruction and loss are mounting. A devastating and historic fire season with four more months left until its official end. Ahead of the blaze, this is the backbreaking work being done tonight. Crews are creating fire breaks to slow down any potential inferno. And tonight they need all the breaks they can get. We Charity might be closing down its Canadian operations, but there are many still pushing for answers into the political affair they got caught up in. Global's Abigail Beeman reports from Ottawa on the fallout from the decision by the Kielberger brothers. Mark and Craig Kielberger, the brothers who founded We, say they're closing the Canadian arm of the charity and selling off real estate assets to fund an endowment to keep their international projects going and put their educational resources online. But an end to We Charity Canada doesn't mean an end to investigations underway. We were trying to get answers on on the fact that they'd hung up on their board of directors when they'd asked for financial records, that they'd fired the head of the board of directors when she was asking about the finances. This is not how a charity is supposed to run. This was a group that was desperately looking for some form of bailout because of COVID, and they just happened to know all the key ministers. There's a lot of questions that still need to be answered, and just like proroguing parliament doesn't shut down this investigation, uh, closing up their Canadian shop uh, doesn't uh, relieve the WE organization of their obligations to provide information to Parliament. There are several parliamentary committees looking into the WE affair. The Finance Committee asked for a number of documents, and while committee work is on hold as Parliament is prorogued, opposition MPs are committed to bringing them back as fast as possible when the House resumes and calling again for those documents, and they believe the Kielbergers are still compelled to turn them over. WE tells Global News they will be happy to provide them once a new committee is in place. We also know the investigations by the Ethics Commissioner into Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and former Finance Minister Bill Morneau are still underway. Are there lessons to be learned from that episode? Sure. Uh, but decisions by we are solely decisions by we. And I think we're going to continue doing what we have always said we were going to do, which is support Canadians through this. 
There are still a number of other questions about Wii's future and its many parts. Wii tells Global News the American arm of its organization is not impacted, but the future of the for-profit social enterprise Meet a Wii is still up in the air. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. In health matters tonight, with non-medical face masks now being worn by many people every day, even mandatory in some places, a team from UBC decided to analyze which fabrics and designs work best. The team includes engineers, doctors, and students from both departments, and it looked at 41 different materials and a variety of different designs. Interestingly, they they found that proper fit is the most important factor in helping prevent the spread of particles from someone's breath. And the double-knit cotton and dried baby wipes are the best for improvised or homemade masks. We wanted to make sure that that people were making the the best possible masks, uh, choosing the right materials, um, things that would be both breathable, light, comfortable, and remove um, the appropriate types of particles that uh, are of concern. Still ahead, moths by the millions. Why experts were expecting this invasion and the carnage it's causing for our coastal forests. And in sports, how COVID-19 can't stop the kickoff to the NFL season. The tiny two-seater about to hit the roads in France and why even a child could drive it. Coming up right after Cash's forecast. I don't think that thing comes with air conditioning and you wouldn't need it on a day like today, Kasia. Absolutely. It was another record breaker. Thank you, Chris, and a good evening to you. We've had quite the exceptional weather day. Clear skies. You can see some haze off in the distance and we reached a high of 25. That was at the airport and then 32 for inland sections. But it's been a while since I've gotten to use this graphic. Your school day forecast, guys. We do. Aw, says Chris. It's true. Sunshine all the way. Our daytime highs around 25 degrees. That'll be had around 5 p.m. And these numbers, they don't look too intense as far as temperatures go, but it will be feeling much warmer with the Humidex. But today's weather theme, when it comes to the pictures that were sent in, were those exceptionally clear skies. This taken in Sandheads by Rob and this guy taking the plunge into Green Lake. That's Hudson and Chappie there. Thanks to Warren for the beautiful shot. And even at Christina Lake in the southeast, very clear skies. The hot spot in the province today, Lytton, or even in the country rather, Lytton at 35.6. And it was another record breaker, as I had mentioned, 21 one of our 124 weather stations had shattered records. Moving forward, smoke continues to be a problem for the southern third of the province with upper level indications pointing towards a little bit more smoke moving into the region uh, Friday late day into your Saturday as well. That's going to be for Metro Vancouver. As far as your temperatures go for tomorrow, it's going to be another above seasonal day by a good five degrees for many of us. The potential for some showers over the northeast of the province, but everybody else very dry. And for the long-range forecast as well, with local smoke over the southern half, 30-degree weather day for Kelowna, and 24 to 28 for us in Metro Vancouver, feeling much warmer with the humid X, feeling like 30 to even 32 degrees. That's going to be for the Fraser Valley, and here's your long range. Now for your Central Windows weather window, brought to us by Jean, who says... September, really? Is it really September? A beautiful photo brought to them, brought to us by them. Thank you. Still, you go, t- still summer, though. So very much. Uh, we'll wring the last out of it for sure. Thanks very much, Kasia. All right. French car maker Citroën has a new vehicle it hopes will appeal to young drivers and city dwellers alike. Check it out. The tiny two-seater 
Ami, as it's called, is powered by a modest 6-kilowatt electric motor. The company hopes it'll entice city dwellers to ditch their bikes, their scooters and mopeds. And since it's classified technically as a quadricycle in France, anyone as young as 14 can drive it because you don't need a driver's license. It has a top speed of only 40 kilometers an hour and it's about a foot shorter than a smart car. The most basic version will cost about $8,700 Canadian. So far, Citroën says it's taken more than a thousand orders. Made mostly out of plastic. Again, I don't think I'd fit in that thing, but it looks kind of cute. You could try. I could try. Squeeze in there. All right, uh, Squire, big, big night for football fans tonight. Oh, yes, the NFL is back. I mean, there are not a lot of fans in the stands, but it is football nonetheless. Uh, We'll show you some highlights from that. Also, not only would Canucks management love to re-sign Christopher Tanev, the captain hopes he re-signs as well. You know, hopefully a deal can get done where, um, you know, he can be a Vancouver Canuck for a long time. But with the salary cap restraints, it won't be easy to bring Tanev back, who is a free agent right now. Also coming up tonight, the cloud of moths descending on our region and when it will finally be over. All right, let's check in with uh, Squire and all the juggling that needs to be done in the Canucks head office here. Yes, there's a lot of uh, figuring going on right now. Uh, Jim Benning has decisions to make. Who should he re-sign? Who should he not sign? Who should he trade? How does he keep enough money around so he can actually sign Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson to huge raises next year? One of the players he would like to keep, who's a free agent right now, is Chris Tanna. But that is not going to be easy. Nico Sturm out there to start. Kid clear. Scores! Chris Tanna from the point has a series winner for Chris Tanev is a defenseman that would have a spot on any team in the NHL. He's a gritty, shot-blocking, dependable veteran who is playing the best hockey of his 10-year career. He's even learning how to stay healthy and durable. But there will be plenty of interest from other teams on the free agent market. The Canucks and Tanev would love to come to an agreement, but right now there's just a lot of uncertainty the Canucks will have enough money under the salary cap to sign him to a fair deal. I'd love to stay with the team. I, I love the organization, love all the guys, love the city. Fans are great. I haven't thought about the possibility of, of playing my last game uh, right now, to be honest. Earlier this week, Jim Benning said priority one was to re-sign Jacob Markstrom. Tanev and Tyler Toffoli would be next in line, but how long does Tanev wait for all of the dominoes to fall? You have to prepare yourself to, to wait a bit. I mean, Real, realistically, it doesn't matter if you sign today or, or the day before free agency. It's something that, that I'm willing to do. And, and Jacob's a, a great player, great friend to me. So, I mean, I, I hope that he, he's able to stay in Vancouver for a long time. Some tough decisions that are going to have to be made. And, and you know, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes, but you know, hopefully they, um, you know, they can make the right ones. And, and you know, hopefully we can get pretty much everybody back um, you know, to make this run again. Tanev's also been an outstanding mentor for Quinn Hughes, and Hughes has even helped Tanev elevate his game. It's a partnership Tanev would like to continue, but it's a pretty uncertain future right now. I love the team, I love the city, I love everything about Vancouver, and hopefully I, I can end up staying there. I mean, 
uh, we'll see what happens as, as the next few weeks um, go by and, and that'll determine um, everything uh, for the future, I guess. Loves those overtime goals. Okay, here are some of the Canucks without contracts right now. And on the far right is what they made last year. So you can see Tanev at 4.45. Tyler Toffoli's another one who they're going to have to think seriously about. There's a lot of feeling that maybe Jake Vertanen's going to have to be moved out through a trade. And, of course, Markstrom's going to want to get to at least $6 million, So that would be a $2.4 million raise. Another guy who could be a free agent in the goaltending market is Robin Leonard, the goalie for Vegas. Look at this. Oh, Jamie Benn's not happy with Braden McNabb. And Alex Tuck goes slew foot on Tyler Sagan. And his buddy Jamie Benn comes in to let him know he didn't like that. The only goal in this game so far, and this is game number three, is Jamie Alexiak with a nice move. Beats Leonard. That's late in the second period. So it's 1-0 going to the third. Well, the fact there have been no preseason games in the NFL and no way to scout another team, every coaching staff in that league really isn't quite sure what to expect in week one from their opposition. For the Seahawks, they kind of have an idea about Atlanta, who they'll play this Sunday. The Falcons have a great passing game with Matt Ryan. You know they're going to throw. But they also added former Rams running back Todd Gurley this year. And Gurley, when he played for Los Angeles, scored seven touchdowns in his last four games against Seattle. Well, you know, we've had some, um, some experience with running back Gurley. He's been very, uh, you know, in our, in our division, playing him twice a year. He's been very effective, very strong, uh, very explosive. Uh, there's no question about they've uh, been doing a great job of uh, mixing up the running pass very well. But as far as the main thing, uh, Gurley is a guy that uh, you have to know where he is at all times. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, let's start the NFL season. David Johnson traded to Houston in that DeAndre Hopkins deal, which shocked everyone. But he gets a good start with Houston because he scores a touchdown right here to give the uh, Texans a 7 nothing lead. And when you need to get a touchdown in Kansas City, it's a good idea to throw to the big man, Travis Kelsey. He gets a TD there. Check out this play, though. Deshaun Watson runs out of bounds to the Kansas City sideline. And what's he do? He sits down behind, beside Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes gives him a little pat in the head. Nice run, buddy. 14-7. Actually, it's 17-7 now uh, at halftime. Good sportsmanship. And good friendship. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. We'll have more tonight on another record day of COVID-19 infections in B.C. Plus, an alert has been issued in Squamish tonight about a grizzly bear that's been seen wandering around the Garibaldi Estates neighborhood. Conservation officers have hazed the animal to encourage it to move on. We'll let you know what else is being done to keep people safe. All those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jay. If you've found yourself swatting at moths over the last couple of days, we'll explain why there are so many of them right now. Well, chances are you've noticed the moth infestation that landed on parts of the south coast recently. The insects are plastered on buildings and swarming around streetlights by the millions. Paul Johnson has more on the outbreak and the impact that's having on local forests. Take a look across the Capilano Reservoir. The view is still stunning, but interrupted this year by a large number of brown trees. Just in the last month and a half or so, uh, there's been a fairly significant uh, browning of trees. It's not fire and it's not drought. 
What's happened is the foliage on these trees has been food for these, the hemlock looper moth. They're very apparent right now in some areas. And it's not just the region's forests. Viewers have been sending us images of their homes and parks, where an unusually high number of the moths have appeared on surfaces and have been swarming around streetlights at dusk. Every uh, 10 to 20 years, I would say, we have these uh, cyclic um, outbreaks. Nobody entirely understands um, how they come about. Biologist Gerhard Gries says the periodic infestations are entirely natural. And while they may do some aesthetic damage, they're not considered an ecological threat. And there's little that can be done about it at any rate. There's very little we can really do about this, at least from my perspective. You don't want to apply um, uh, insecticides on the on the trees because these are parks and recreational areas. We noticed earlier this blackberry bush had been a big source of moths. Let's see what happens to give you a sense. Here they are. Experts still aren't sure if this will continue next year. It's possible. One thing they are certain about is that the damage to the trees was done earlier this summer when the moths were in their caterpillar phase. And if you're worried about your sweaters and curtains, take note. The hemlock looper moth only has a taste for trees. In North Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Good to know. My suits are safe. I know. I, was, I wasn't going to go outside in my uh, sport coat. <laughs> Oh, pretty pretty wild seeing all those bugs. You know who can handle moths? Godzilla. Ooh. No, that's Mothra. Let's uh, let's call him in. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's also look forward to some some football for once, oh, even if there are yes. no no crowds. Mm-hmm. Especially for those in pools. Yeah. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Kasia. Looking forward to another hot day in store for tomorrow. It won't be as hot as it was today, but still, it could be another record setter across the province. It's going to be feeling like 30 for inland sections or even more than that tomorrow. Uh, looks like summer to me. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Kasia. Thank you for watching. Have a great night, everybody.